I wanted to be a fashion designer from the time that I was born. And when I got accepted into the London College of Fashion, I knew that my dream was coming true. It wasn't until I moved to an off-campus studio in London, though, that I started to travel back to the 60s. Was it a dream or was I actually leaving my reality and going to the 60s? Either way, I soon realized that I'm living the last moments of a singer who vacated my exact room. Now, this isn't my story, but it's the story of the movie we're talking about this week. The Umbra Cellophone. Why are you not the Sound production, take one. Hi everyone! Welcome back to another episode of the Unbound Cinefem. I am Avery, your wonderful, lovely, book and movie loving host. And this week I've got a guest with us. Go ahead, introduce yourself or reintroduce yourself to the people. Oh, um, God. I forgot what name. I said Nalissa or did I say Nelly? I don't know. Well, today I'm Nalissa, and I was here last time, and it's been a while. It has been a while. And the crazy thing is that the movie we're talking about this week um, follows the same line as Fresh, or it's like, women. <laughs> Yay. Except this one's written by a man. <laughs> Common theme in movies that no. I've seen so far this year. Oh my god. Anyways, when you think you're getting a pro-feminist movie, turns out it's produced by a man. Um, so, how have you been, Nelly? What's a, what's a movie or book or show that you've been interested in lately you can't get enough of? Um, recently, as of, like, a month ago, I've watched all of Stranger Things. Ah! <laughs> all of it. So, like, I think every, all the emotions hit me at once. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I don't know how to continue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm... <laughs> I'm not going to get started talking on it because if I do, we'll be here all day and that episode is coming for y'all, but (laughs) I think a lot of people can uh, speak on the fact that we are all obsessed and how do you, how do you continue from going through all five stages of grief in under two hours? The fact that all of my grief happened in the last 40 minutes? No, yeah. I don't know. And I'm still grieving i'm still like it what is it like the first stage is denial i'm still in denial <laughs> I'm still in denial. um i don't know when i'm ever gonna move on <laughs> um but anyways so this week we are coming to you with a movie that actually came out in 2021 but it has been recently put onto hbo max which means we were able to watch it sink our tiny little fangs into it yeah chubby little chubby little <laughs> phalanges <laughs> Yeah, there we go. That was so much more comprehensive. Oh, my God. Um, But, yeah, wow, I wish we had a video. I mean, I do, but I don't, because then I'd have to look different than I do right now. (laughs) Like, to see that visual of our fingers just flailing. (laughs) Just gripping non-existent (laughs) air. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, We're coming to you this week with the movie called Last Night in Soho. It came out in 2021. It's a horror slash drama, but, um... (laughs) Anyways, uh, it's starring Anya Taylor-Joy as Sandy and Thomas and McKenzie as Eloise. And then you also see a little bit of Matt Smith as Jack and a bunch of other people, including Sam Claflin, who, if you watch The Hunger Games, you know, you know. Do you know? 
I don't know. Hmm. All right. <laughs> Awkward. So anyways, yeah, this movie was directed by Edward Wright. Ed, it's Edgar. Oh my God, he did Baby Driver. Did he really? He did. That's so unfortunate. Me looking at his IMDb. Oh my God. Can't Scott Pilgrim, shut up. What? Guys, get out of my head. And he gave us this. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> wow. You know what? It's been a while since he's done the other one. So, Edgar Wright um, also co-wrote this with a woman named Christy Wilson Cairn. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, And we'll get into my feelings personally. I don't want to speak for Nelly, but my feelings on the fact that he co-wrote this with a woman. And it's a story about women's fear of men. But that's from me to you. Um, (laughs) Don't... Bite the messenger, don't I guess. Don't bite? shoot him. <laughs> Salad. Don't shoot the messenger. Okay. Yeah. You were almost there. I just, just different synonyms. Don't strangle him. No. <laughs> All the variations of harm that you can bring to the messenger. Don't do it. <laughs> so we're gonna give a little bit of the synopsis or the summary of Last Night in Soho before we get into our feelings about it, what we liked, didn't like. Eloise Turner loves the music and fashion of the swinging 60s and dreams of becoming a fashion designer. Her mother, who also was a designer, committed suicide when Ellie was a child. Ellie occasionally sees her mother's ghost in mirrors. She then decides to move to London to study at the London College of Fashion, but has trouble fitting in. Unhappy in the Hall of Residence, she moves into a studio. At that point, she starts to have vivid dreams about a Soho nightclub in the 1960s and a singer at that particular nightclub. Is her waking life in contrast to the supposed reality of her dreams? Thank you, IMDb user Frank Leisenborgs, for, <laughs> for that wonderful synopsis. We appreciate you, Frank. Yeah, that's pretty much what Last Night in Soho is about, but there's so much more to it. And before we start to spoil anything, we definitely want to talk about the things we liked, the things we didn't like, um, so that you know what you're getting yourself into as you start to stream this movie on HBO Max. Would my guest like to do the honor? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, might as well. Might as well. So, um, honestly, I have a lot of empty thoughts about this movie. I feel like I liked, I think it was really well directed. Um, I really liked the use of color in the scene, in the scenes. I guess without spoiling much, I think it was a very good use of colors to depict, you know, the character. Like how, like, the main girl was a very bright color, so that meant, that meant she was supposed to attract all your attention. Um, not the main girl, the one that, um, Anya Taylor, Joy? Joyce? Mm, Hello? Yeah. Question mark? What I didn't like. <laughs> so... I just so was this movie supposed to be like a thriller slash horror? I guess. I guess so. Because I, I mean, when I, you look at it, it says horror slash drama. Uh, but the drama, I just didn't see it. It definitely felt flat <laughs> in mm-hmm. some places that I felt like we're supposed to kind of like pull you in more. Yeah. I guess. Well, in some of the reviews that I read, it seemed like. People consider this movie to be split up into three acts. And the third act took a, like, it was like the first two acts of the film were very much like drama, coming of age. Like, you know, you could tell that she was kind of 
she wasn't settling into her life in London very well, and she she has, like, a family history of mental illness and stuff, mm-hmm. but, like, there wasn't any aspects of horror until the very, like, last act of the movie, where you start to see, you know, like, different images, and, and like, the, the, com- the tone just completely changes, and I think it, like, kind of threw me for a loop, and that was one of the things that I didn't like, um, but I definitely see what you're talking about, and I think that a lot of people feel that way. I'll start with things that I didn't like just to bounce bounce off or should I say piggyback. I didn't like it was that it was a male director. I think that I don't know, if you're going to be a man, <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to be born a man, um you like to try to narrate and like give a platform to women's stories particularly about how men negatively impact women there's just a certain way to go about it but like in this film you just found how certain aspects of like women's experiences fall short in the eyes of a man and so you know like there weren't very strong female side characters. Um, and like even, even the interactions between different women in the, like in the movie were just very much like stereotypical. Very Definitely li- failed the Bechdel test. Isn't that what it's called? With like the amount of like time, like characters are speaking in a movie and they're women. I don't know. Okay. The Bechdel test is a measure of representation of women in fiction. Wow. So, yeah. There was a lack of female characters in this movie, I think partly because it was a movie centered around the way that men just treat women as prey. So, they just keep women out of it entirely. No, yeah. They're like, <laughs> we have these two female characters, the rest of y'all? Stay out of it. It's not your Three. business. Two. Okay. Three? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that, like, so knowing what Edgar Wright's previous films are, we obviously know that he loves film. He loves the different techniques and um, just really exploring how far he can take a movie, like, visually um and effects wise but i think that in this movie there was so much that he wanted to tell visually that it just all got lost i like like i was talking about before each act feels different than the last and so you know like the first half the first half is very like cheery you know like your standard coming of age like i'm leaving my home and i'm starting this new life i'm so excited Yeah. yeah and then you go into the middle and it's like, oh, things are not what it seems to be. Mm-hmm. But then you don't really get that horror aspect until the very last. And yeah, I think that there were so many visual aspects of story, visual and auditorial, because he uses music a lot. Yeah. So there were so many things that he wanted to do with this story, but I think they all just kind of got miscommunicated amongst all of the things that he tried to do with it. Another thing. <laughs> Riddle me this. <laughs> John, the love interest, first of all, one of the things I did like was that there was a black love interest. Pause. Very handsome. Very handsome. I loved him. Like, why vibes. Like, so, yes! He was so sweet. He was very... 
But that sweetness, you know what? We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll we'll um, our teeth into it later. Yeah, our, our grubby little mitts. Because <laughs> right now, right now, I want to talk about, I want to address the, the elephant in the room. Um, John became a racial symbol to benefit the narrative. Um, but he wasn't given the space to really, like, get into him being a racial symbol. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I just found it interesting that, and maybe it's a sign of the times, who knows? Uh, (laughs) I knew, I knew it. Um, but like with Sandy, all of the men that she was with were all white men. Yeah. And then John was the only black man in the story. And the entire time, like, he only made one reference to, like, his race. And it was like, I know what it feels like to be different from other people. Girl. First of all, come on, you're talking to a white woman. Yeah. And, like, mentally and, like, like privilege-wise, financial reasons, yes, sure. But, like, your reason for feeling different is not the not same, the same at level. all. Not but, like, the level. fact that it was just one, like, a one little pass at that, and then we moved on. And then the entire rest of the movie is just him trying to, like, help her, pretty much. And being... It's giving, um... Do you, do, do you watch Star Wars? Hmm. Okay. So, basically, <laughs> there's this character, Finn, who's in the newest trilogy. Mm-hmm. And, um, basically, he was, like... He's, like, the only black main character. But, um, basically, um... Let me forgetting the point of what I was saying. But, um, his whole thing basically became just kind of helping the main white woman... Yeah. You know, achieve her goals, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, like, he... There's a point in the movie where he becomes sort of, like, a villain. Not, like, the villain, but a villain in the eyes of another woman just because, like... He's he's in some place that he's not supposed to be. And I don't know. I just... too Like, there were too many things that went unaddressed in terms of that. And, yeah. Him being the only black man in the movie, definitely, like... Only person of color in general in the yeah. movie. Talking about, like, Ellie and how she feels different. Um, a lot of her feeling different is because of her lack of generational wealth and, like, her wanting to go into an industry where it helps to have money to get you to certain places. And so I liked how the movie um, touched on those generational paths, but I wanted it to go deeper. And we didn't. (laughs) We didn't. Um, But, I mean, I'm going through all these things that I didn't like. I obviously... But even, um, they didn't go deep into, like... Sandy's backstory either other than like her big dream but we don't know about her family yeah I just a lot of the characters just seemed very two-dimensional and I mean I don't I don't always believe that we need a person's backstory like complete backstory to know why they're doing something or you know whatever but like you can give enough context in the present day for us to know you know what I'm saying yeah and we just didn't get that so going on to the things that I did like, I liked the use of time, definitely, in this movie. I liked how, <clears throat> like, we don't know what time this movie is set in until, like, 15 minutes in when she's on the train with her Beats headphones on. <laughs> like, before that, we don't see a cell phone, we don't see a computer, we don't see anything. She listens to music's 
<laughs> Plural. <laughs> music. <laughs> she listens to music on vinyl. Um, she uses a digital alarm clock. Like, all these different things that... Because she's stuck in the 60s. Like, she literally dissociates from she her own She romanticizes the 60s yeah. so extremely. And boy, does she got a big storm coming for her. <laughs> oh because... Woo! She's about to wake up to a big surprise. No, literally. She does well i mean it's in her sleep but anyways um but yeah i like the use of time in that sense um and uh, you know obviously there's like they they play with time a little bit more throughout it with um ellie being able to visit back and forth the 60s and her reality um and like you said talking about romanticizing um i there's the thing about it is that there's like these subtle messages within the movie but they don't give enough clues to it you know what i'm saying like like you can have a message of the romanticizing you know the 60s right Mm -hmm. and we see it we pick up on it through her listening to vinyls through her addicted to that type of music that type of fashion but like to see the effects of it and to see how it's like mentally affecting her we don't see no does that make sense yeah yeah um so yeah i mean regardless i did like it and i think that her mental downfall (laughs) is one a result of her kind of like delusional fantasies of the 60s um in part with everything else that happens but the horror aspect is kind of what deludes that romanticization if I even put my words together properly in that sentence. I also like the common horror tropes. There was, I think, like, in Friday the 13th, Michael Myers, um, Sleepaway Camp, like, all of those different classic horror movies. It's always, like, um, women and men should not, like, be together and, like, stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, And so when Ellie moves into her studio... Yeah, and she tells her no boys after eight. Yeah, Yeah. which is just, like, mm, okay. First of all, she's grown and in college. No, literally. If I'm paying you you rent, you're not about to tell me what I can do with my space. (laughs) No, because that's what gets me, because I wish someone told me. No, like, hello? My big money is going into your pocket. Don't mind who's in my space that I pay for. Um, but anyway, she ends up breaking that rule, and I just feel like every time, like, you know the rules, and you see the rules being broken, you know something's about to happen. Yeah, and usually fall by, like, death. Um, another, another thing, and there's not, like, a particular movie in this, but, like, some of the makeup was very representative of, like, early 60s movies horror movies because at the time like between the 50s and the 60s i think that's when they started to convert to more like in color movies and and tv shows um but before that was still all black and white and so they had to manipulate the makeup and the lighting to really create like that film noir shadowed look and so in the the halloween scene she has like the black makeup on her face Mm -hmm. and in the light it looks silly but in that Halloween party, when those party, strobe lights were going mm-hmm, off, yeah, mm-hmm, she looked yeah, incredible. I felt it. It was I very artistic. It. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite scenes. I have a bunch of other things that I liked, a bunch of other things that I didn't like, and to to how should I say, 
um, make those who have watched it feel superior. I'm gonna save them <laughs> for for the spoiling part of this episode. So if you haven't watched it, um, then maybe that now's the time to click off, go watch it, and then when you're ready, come back. I'll be here. We'll be here. Um, we have a seat ready and everything. Yeah, and she's can, warm, uh, and we can discuss. <laughs> we can. <laughs> Listen, your seat is is warm, it's prepped, it's got some snacks, so... A little beverage? A little bev, a little bev moment. So, make sure you go watch this movie, or if you don't mind it being spoiled, um, or you have watched it, or you just you just want to support the movement, um, <laughs> then, then stick around, because now we're about to get into... The nitty gritty. Now we're going to start talking and spoiling um the the rest of the movie it's about time um were you, i feel like you were gonna say something before i started to spoil the movie you you said <gasps> and then but i was talking about yeah i i was gonna say is that like i don't know if some parts of because i don't know if i want to bring it up now because you haven't brought it up yet though Mm, I can rearrange okay. it. Okay, because remember when you said like, because she has like a disorder or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like in some parts of the movie, like when she like is in like the past and like she's like in the mirror and like she's getting her neck sucked on and like Sandy's getting her neck sucked on and then like it's a vampire movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <I don't> <laughs> and then um, she has the bruise on her neck mm-hmm. like in current day. So I'm like, does that mean like things happen? Yeah. To her? I don't know, honestly. And that's that's one of the things that, like, a lot of reviews kind of talked about was that there was an inconsistency with the, like, the mirror situation. So, so let's table it. <laughs> let's table that. Because I want, there are some things earlier in the movie, and I still want to go chronologically. So the opening credit scene is of Eloise, and this is how we meet her. We see no technology, and she's surrounded by 60s decor. She's wearing a very, like, 60s dress, and she's listening to 60s music. And it makes you think that it th- that's the setting of the movie, but its sole purpose is really to position you in this fantasy that she's created. Um, she, in her head. In her head, yeah, but also I think it's aided a little bit with her grand because she's heard all this music from her grand. Her grand grew up in the 60s, and so it's kind of like, I just feel like her grand is... Is an enabler. Yeah, aiding and abetting. Literally. Because... The true villain. Exactly. Is the grandma. Because you let her decorate her room like that. You let her dress like that. You give her these tools. I'm pretty sure... Cause her own destruction. Now, I don't know if she's been homeschooled or not, but... She looks like she would be. (laughs) With peace and love. Um, yeah, I, like, I just get this, this feeling that she's been secluded in this countryside from people her age. Um, because when she does get to school, her interactions with people her age are just very off. She, um, she doesn't carry this attitude, but it's just the way that, like, she goes out drinking with, with her roommates and, and, like, the people in her dorm, and she just looks very uncomfortable, like, socially, and she doesn't really know how to fit in. She can't really read social cues. Yeah. And I mean, part of that is because of her roommate who she meets, Jacosta. You know what? Mm -hmm. Don't even say her name around me because she made me upset. (laughs) Hurricane Jacosta? (laughs) Oh my my gosh. 
So I don't really, and I wrote down a lot of questions. <laughs> like, yeah. it was like I didn't know how to note them, so I just questioned them instead mm-hmm. because I really didn't understand them. It's like with Jocasta. Um, this is another reason why I said that I didn't like that it was a male director because Jocasta being one of those female characters who was just stereotypical mean girl. Yeah, like literally down we've to the seen, to the T. Yeah, we've seen. I've seen this girl in so many movies before. Like, Have you really? I mean, the, t- oh, the, the character the type. Okay, yeah, okay. the character type, and it's just like unimpressive. Me, me saying what a this what actress. <laughs> Like, oh my god! Busy no, literally. Wow, I just thought this is her starting her starting role. Um, yeah, no, and like she she really tries to compete with Eloise on her mom's suicide. Like no, because she's that. That the, and what what gets me is that her the friend asked what happened to the mom, mm-hmm. and then when like what's her face Eloise when she's like yeah she killed herself. There, <laughs> Jacosta was like why would she bring that up <laughs> when and y'all the asked other girl, her first of all. I don't know if Jocasta just assumed that Eloise's mom had leukemia as well, but like that, Jocasta brought that up immediately in front of these new people. She was like, mm, "Dead Mom's Club." Whoa. Who are you people? Mood killer. First of all, like we're drinking, we're getting crazy. We're trying to get. You want to talk about your dead mom? Okay, first of all, I can't lie. That's me when I'm drunk. I'm like dead dad guys. <laughs> dead dad vibes. I'm Jocasta. <laughs> Valid, but say like I was say. You were Eloise, I was Jocasta, and you brought up your dead dad. And I'd be like, my uncle died too. <laughs> what? Like, give me my space. Give me my safe space because <laughs> I just. Like, Whoa, not a competition. Because she literally, they asked how she died, how her mom died, and Eloise answered, you know, to be polite. And then Jocasta said, my uncle committed suicide. Who 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 asked? Odd flex, first of all. Like, and and that was only after all of the other girls around them was like, oh my god, you're so brave. And that's another thing is that like they're sitting here and they're be- like, that's not the response you give to somebody who just told you their parent committed suicide. I feel like everybody, every sane person knows that. But male director. In so in this scene, I feel like there's a lot of kind of foreshadowing as well um once they like go out and stuff because they start talking about how they have like work tomorrow or they have a class early tomorrow and jacosta says um pretty much like fuck future you live in the now and at the end sandy also mentioned something like that like killing a part of yourself and so that's why I said, like, they kind of play with time a little bit. Because it's like, you have present you, you have future you. And so so you see present Sandy, past Sandy. And Eloise, just Eloise. She's in the present. She's, <laughs> but her mind, her mind is in the 60s. No, nowhere to be found. <laughs> no. So yeah, I also question that because, honestly, I had that... I feel like there's a bunch of lines being drawn and it's just not connecting to anything <laughs> <laughs> that's my problem with this movie um what are you gonna say no. <laughs> ah. now listen don't start talking just because you feel like you gotta start talking like no. last time <laughs> no disagree with me just to no. listen we're gonna settle this right now <laughs> oh my god no. why are you starting these <laughs> so i need views come on <laughs> 
<laughs> just kidding, just kidding, y'all. Your views are enough for me. <laughs> hashtag I'm full of views. Hashtag love. The experience that she has with Jacosta is enough to make her find somewhere else because who would want to be around that type of energy? Not Toxic. me. Like you said, we support women's rights. Women when they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I support women when they're awesome. Yeah, That's like what I said. Enough about women's rights. I want to hear about, about some wrongs. Mm-hmm. And Jacosta. And we're gonna get to some wrongs later. So yeah, um, Ellie kind of decides, yeah, this dormitory life is not for me, rightfully so, and she finds, like, this ad on the floor. First of all, it's on the floor, and it says women only. And so when I first saw that, when she picked up the, like, postcard that it was written on, and it said, you know, like, this is the street, this is how much it is, women only, I said, this is a man. No, literally, it's kind of suspicious. Yeah, because... When she was out with Jacosta, like, the night before, um, she walked by this telephone booth, and it was just all, like, different ads of, like, not prostitutes, but, like, sex workers. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. I couldn't see the posters, like, up close, but, I mean, it it was nude women just on a telephone telephone booth. So, I was just like, wow, like, y'all are really... And, oh my gosh, I literally skipped over the most important part. But her taxi driver. <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. Bro. <laughs> Literally the scariest thing ever. It was, she no, was like, yeah. no, because he was like, where are we taking you? And she was like, no. He asked if she was um, a model. And she was like, no, I'm a designer. And he goes, with those legs, you can be a model. I was like, that's <laughs> she, so She like, covered her legs. <laughs> Bro, that's how you know. And it was the tiniest sliver, was, too. Th- that man is the reason why they have dress codes in high schools. Because yeah. that girl's... Like a little quarter size amount of knee was showing. He goes with those legs. Like, yeah. like when somebody asks for a slice of pie and they say, "I just want a sliver," mm-hmm. that's how much of leg was popping out of her dress or whatever. But that was enough leg. A sliver. But that was yeah. Enough. And so when the when the taxi driver asks her, like, "Oh, it's on Charlotte Street," um, he, you know, she says, "Oh, it's dormitories." He said, "Is it all girls housing? Because if so, you might have a, a first stalker." Why would you feel comfortable enough to say that to somebody? Hello? I, d- I don't know what gives men men the audacity men. to no, just yeah. say things like that and not think it's weird. And, like, in the first 30 to 40 minutes of the movie, I would say, that's all you see. It's just, like, unsolicited male attention, male horniness. Aggressive men horniness. Unprovoked, like just like overstepping of boundaries and it it ranges like it's not just completely like inappropriate uncomfortable but it's still just like like I would never walk up to somebody as a way of introducing myself and take their headphones off and say what are you listening to that's that's not me you want to know why because I know you got boundaries (laughs) like yeah I wouldn't want somebody doing that to me but this man comes up to Ellie Takes off her headphones, says, Oh, what are you listening to? Proceeds to put her headphones on and then insult, insult her music. Her music. Now you're scared on the host. And be surprised when he gets no play. No, exactly. <laughs> but that's not even the first time. Well, I mean, I guess second after the taxi a driver. Then they go to the pub. This was before this was, you know, like before they had their little party in the dorm and that guy just completely shits on her music taste. <laughs> they go to the pub in Soho. And this guy walks up to their group of, of friends, 
quote unquote, mm. and says, oh my gosh, he says something about, oh my, I'm trying to think of the exact phrasing, but I also don't want to say it completely because it makes me feel grody. It's like a dick joke, isn't it? Yeah, he's like, oh my, like, it hurts. Can I stick it up your... Yeah, he goes... So, can it's, it's can I bury it in you? Yeah, or and they're like, "Ew, gross." But then Jacosta also is like, mm, "Maybe you should try that. Try that pickup line on Ellie. No. She seems like she's a little freak." <laughs> Jacosta is a pick me. Um. Yeah. Like, what happened to female solidarity? That doesn't. That's what I want to know. Because Jacosta is also the same one who drugged her later on in the movie. A little. And for what reason? Unprovoked drugging. Like, because she wasn't even hanging out with her the entire night. Mm. She just did it to do it. Unprovoked bullying. This is college, mind you. Literally. Why are we acting like we're still sophomores in high school? Or in their case, what is it? Primary school? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Not primary. No, they call it what? university you but uni is college yeah but them in high school i'm pretty sure primaries primary isn't that like the election i don't know oh <laughs> joe biden <laughs> um controversial don't bring it up on the <laughs> podcast <I'm> sorry y'all <laughs> sorry um <laughs> anyways so yeah jacosha is just overly problematic and i think that says another thing there's been other movies where it's like okay wait so I just want to say I don't like mean girl tropes, but also when they're unrealistically mean. Yeah. So like, like when we talked about like the drugging, the unprovoked drugging. Yeah. No one does that. I just feel like if you're gonna be a mean girl, like you know how to do it. Jacosta don't know how to do it. She don't. Know, she's not giving Regina George like she no. thinks she is. Yeah, Regina George was was a real mean girl. To be but honest, she was good at it. No, yeah, like I definitely see what you mean in terms of like. Like, Mean Girl tropes are annoying because it's just, like, at our big age especially, it just don't happen like that. Um, we're just haters more than anything. But we yeah. hate silently. We don't hate... To the their face. To, to faces. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I just... But Regina George, definitely... No, you got that. You got that. <laughs> you said it. You spoke facts. Um, yeah, no. I, I hate her. <laughs> Um, I definitely want to say, watching it back through, knowing that Mrs. Collins is Sandy, you just, you pick up on different things, and you're like, hmm, okay. Like, the no male visitors after eight. Yeah. It's like, is that because... That's slut and hours. You were bringing them home? Yeah, After eight? She knows what happens after eight. No, literally. She knows the night people are out. (laughs) She is one of the night people. She was. She was one of the night people. But she killed killed that, that part of her. Girl boss. Remember? Wow. A move? Um, she kind of girl bossed her way into survival. Honestly, because the way she grabbed the knife by the blade and just no, yeah, kinda, she kind of slayed. I love when that happens in horror movies. When you hurt yourself because to survive. I yes, yeah. and I know it's probably all off of adrenaline, partly. But I'm also just kind of like I just know for me, I don't know if I could ever do that. Like I, <laughs> if it was me or them, I could do it. I just. Like, when it comes to zombie apocalypse, right? Mm. I just don't know if I'm willing to fight that hard. I, no, <laughs> I've been dead. I, I don't know if my will to live is strong enough. And I don't think exactly. I have a survival instinct. And, like, if my therapist is listening to this... You ain't hear it. Don't call nobody <laughs> on me. Don't send a wellness check. We're just... It's a prank. We're just dilly-dallying. 
Um, but yeah, no, like that. And <clears throat> I think I would put up a little bit of fight just to be able to say I did it. <laughs> just to, you know, be like, at least I'm not 100% weak. Go out f- swinging. But yeah, I was just like, Michael Myers, you, like, he's been shot how many times and he's still alive? Like, he's still kicking. So. That's plot armor because don't even get me started oh on Michael gosh. Myers. <laughs> So, yeah, there, and, like, going back to the whole foreshadowing thing, there is a lot of foreshadowing, and so, in the beginning, now, I didn't catch this the first time, the second time, I barely caught it, just because, watching it the second time was definitely a lot harder than the first. Yeah, (laughs) I relate heavy on that. Which is so unfortunate, I don't, I really had high hopes for this movie, because I love Anya Taylor-Joy. And I knew she was going to slay in the 60s look. And she did. She, she slayed. Looked, one thing about her, the whole movie, she looked incredible. Like, there the wasn't boots mo- the bo- were down. The house was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> the roof fell in. Caved <laughs> <laughs> in. Oh my gosh. Not imploded on itself. <laughs> she served. The story didn't. Eloise, my That's news. Just- that actress did pretty good. My nuts I would say. <laughs> My nuts <laughs> Like, she did what she had to do with what she was given, you know? And I can't blame Anya her. Anya definitely did all the heavy lifting. No, yeah. She was carrying that, that movie on its back. I know she needs to go see a chiropractor after <laughs> carrying that she whole movie a, on her spine. She needs a back masseuse. Um, <laughs> and it'll be me. Uh, when she bumps into the record, it skips on the same line, and it says, She may come, I know not when. And it's like... You think she's talking about her mom? I think she's talking about Sandy. <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. But also her mom. I don't... Because the thing is, is that she did sees you, her mom in the what, mirror. What? Because did you see, like, how, like, the mom only comes when she receives good news? So, like, she comes in the beginning when she gets, like, the letter, yeah. and then she comes at the end when um, her, like, fashion show's a big success. But nowhere throughout the rest of the movie you see the mom. Which is complete opposite to... <laughs> to Bella and Edward because <laughs> not them being foils Edward only came whenever Bella was in danger when she was gonna kill herself yeah and I would do it too and he said don't do it so anyways no I I mean it could definitely be her mom but I just kind of felt like it was more of Sandy because especially in the beginning she didn't know when she was gonna go into the 60s when she first started to sleep sleepwalk Time travel? Night walk? Night. Night. Okay. Night crawl? Night. Oh, night crawler. All right, all right, all right. Um, Yeah, when she first started to night crawl, she didn't know how to do it. She just, it just just happened to her. And I think that every night she hoped that it would happen. And it did. But. Manifest. She shifted. Oh my God. No, she did. She shifted. Wow. Not just being a tutorial. (laughs) And after we watched the movie a third time, (laughs) we're getting. Nope. Oh my gosh. So I kind of saw it as that, but I also saw it as mm, mental illness. <laughs> yeah. Like, who, if you were to and tell... And her family. If you were to tell Ellie at the beginning of the movie, like, hey, you're going to go senile <laughs> <laughs> by the middle of your freshman year at college, she'd be like, mm, no. That was my mom, not me. She just needs med medication. She needs to be heavily medicated and sedated. Lightly dosed. Mm, heavily? <laughs> sedated, like, definitely. She wouldn't she wouldn't go to sleep. I wouldn't go to sleep point. either if every time yeah. I close my eyes I saw the same woman get attacked. Oh my gosh. But the thing is is that 
It started so like. Oh my god, it's kind of like a foil to like um, Coraline, if you think about it, because she goes into like the sixties. But like that could be. Like, yeah, I was thinking Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh my god! Like not going to sleep. Yeah. Both. <gasps> wow, I need that collab. No, but the the use of music definitely is heavy in this movie, and I read some reviews where they talk about how. Edgar Wright uses mu- music in his movies a lot. Baby Driver. Baby oh, Driver was so... Baby Driver is such a good yes. example of using music to enhance the story. Oh my god. I like, And Baby I never Driver. saw the importance of music in a movie, I think, until that movie. That and we were still working at the theater at that time. And I had that movie poster. I had it. I don't, I don't know where it went, though. I remember going to war for those movie posters. Oh my gosh, no. God forbid a, it was a Marvel movie. People were throwing elbows. <clears throat> One of the songs that he uses is Downtown by Patula Clark. Um, Sandy sings this in the club, and I think it plays one other time as well, but when Sandy sings it as for her audition for her f- first like club gig, which is not what she thought it was going to be at all, she turns it into like more of like a grim sound. It's a pretty upbeat, poppy song for the 60s, but she sings it, like very slow and sultry yeah and it's kind of like creepy almost um ominous but i feel like that song signifies ellie's frequent dissociations because it says like um it says whenever you're feeling alone whenever you're feeling this whenever you're feeling feel like that you can just find me downtown or just go downtown and so i feel like because Ellie has always been secluded on like the countryside and even when she's around these people who are her same age she doesn't feel like she fits in then she goes downtown or to the 60s or to you know wherever her mind takes her and she finds more ways to associate herself with Sandy in her own looks and I think it yeah. it starts when she sees the hickey on her neck. Yeah, and then she dyes her hair blonde. And yeah. And she starts making the dress that's basically exact replica of Sandy's. And then she tries to order the same drink at the bar. Yeah. She's like, can I get a Vesper? And the lady was like, mm, this isn't the Mayflower. Or something. <laughs> the Mayflower. So she's like, the May something. I don't know. Maybe it's a British reference. Mm. I'm American. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like that was kind of like, okay, sweetie, maybe you should <laughs> dial it back. No, literally. You're losing reality. It's giving the like same energy as the girls that like dress up and act like Ariana Grande. Oh my gosh. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. <laughs> I do. Um, another song that is used is, I don't know the name of the song, but it's always something there to remind me. Da, 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 da. yeah that song plays as ellie's like running through it's like there's 40 minutes left of the movie and she rips no okay this is what happens ellie is fitting the dress to the model in her in her class right and she looks up to the model and it's actually sandy with blood all over her throat and her face and so ellie like completely has a full mental breakdown runs out of the class and whenever she runs through the hall it's like all these men in suits and she sees them as like the men that have like haunted sandy and so then she's running all through town and every person that she sees is one of these men and then she also seen sees that one guy jack i think his name is um that's that's sandy's like boyfriend right pimp yeah let's be real (laughs) 
No, because the only reason I'm not calling him a pimp is because he's white. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, yeah. I definitely agree with that. And so she's seeing all of these faces from, the, like, the 60s moment that she travels to. And so this song is playing. And it's like, you know, no matter where I go, there's always something there to remind me. But, so, like, yes, she's seeing these figments of her imagination from the 60s. And it's reminding her of the trauma that Sandy has endured and, like, Sandy's so-called death. But also... Every man she sees is a man that has treated Sandy terribly. So it's like, there's always something there to remind me that men ain't shit. As if I open my eyes and don't think that already. No, literally. I get it in every form of media. I don't know. I just feel like a woman could do it better. <laughs> it's just exhausting. Yeah. It, and it feels very recycled. Like, we were talking about how we, see, we saw men what was like a month ago yeah Oof. and it feels like it's been longer yeah no that i never would want to watch that, that movie again so traumatic but this movie really feels besides the very traumatic ending um this movie feels very similar to the like message and they both fail at telling the same thing yeah i realized well they approached it they approached it completely different and they failed completely different yeah (laughs) like and that's that's why i say and at least this movie was co-written with a woman but like how are you as a man writing a story about how women feel unsafe around men and you still invade the space of a woman in film like women in film are already so limited (laughs) yeah why limit them more (laughs) i don't get it but you were talking about the mirrors, and you were talking about how, um, you know, like, when she does look in the mirrors, and she sees herself, and then sometimes she sees Sandy, and yeah. sometimes it seems like Sandy sees Ellie Yeah. also. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just a whole lot of back and forth with that. I think that's where it kind of, like, don't know if it, it's intentionally supposed to blur the line between reality and, like, the 60s dream world, I guess. I don't know if that no. was intentional. Or if that was kind of, like, a mistake, because there's some parts where, like, it's clearly, like, supposed to mean that they overlap. Mm-hmm. Like, when, like, there's marks and where, like, um, Sandy acknowledges um, Ellie sometimes. But then there's other times where, like, it's taking place in the past and, like, there's things that she sees in the presence that looks like in, like, the past or whatever. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I didn't like. I talked about it before when, you know, when we were talking about it or yeah. whatever. Um, but, yeah, like, the concept of whether Ellie is observing outside of Sandy or within Sandy is unclear because of the difference in, like, the reflection and how... Because sometimes Ellie is Sandy's reflection. Other times, Sandy will leave and Ellie is still there. You know what I'm saying? And so it's just very inconsistent, and I think it makes it even harder to grasp, like, what am I? What am I supposed to interpret this scene as? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of like in all the other ways, you just feel very disconnected from the story and what Mister Wright's trying to do here. <laughs> How Mister Wright is very very wrong. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> kind of eight. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, I'm like num, 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 num. mirrors are not um, secluded to. Ellie and Sandy's relationship or you know showing like kind of like how they're connected but there is one part um it's in one of the many club scenes that there are in the very middle when 
Jack drags Sandy to a club to mingle with other men and, you know, bring them back home. And she looks at her reflection pretty frequently in the beginning at least because it's like a dance montage Mm -hmm. and i love a good dance montage i'll talk about it a little bit (laughs) um but she looks at her reflection and she's kind of like she kind of gets stuck for a moment looking at her reflection because her reflection is ellie so i'm like "Mm, can she see ellie does she look it you Mm -hmm. know what or is she just kind of like dumbfounded at like this is who i am this is my reality and so from that moment forward, she doesn't look at herself in the mirror at the club. Like, she sits down with a police officer, and he's like, he's like, oh, like, you're too good for this. Like, you, you don't deserve this type of life. You can do so much better. And she's like, I don't think I can, everything like that. And he was like, take a good look at yourself in the mirror. There's a mirror right behind her, and, like, you can see Ellie's reflection. But um, Sandy is, like, turned away from each other back to it. And Ellie's like, look at me. Look at me. And Sandy just refuses to look in the mirror. And so it's kind of like, it's, it, it, it's like, are you ashamed to face reality? And then could the same thing be said about Ellie? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, the, like, throughout the movie, Ellie's grand talks about, like, are you seeing your mom? Like, are you okay mentally? Are you... And so she keeps bringing up every time that Ellie expresses, like, being upset over something or, you know, like, just kind of, like, disappointed with life or whatever. She's like, oh, are you seeing your mom? Mm-hmm. It's like, first of all, why do you automatically assume that I'm mentally unwell <laughs> just because I'm a little upset? Maybe I'm experiencing things. Yeah, but also it's kind of like <clears throat> whatever mental illness her mom had what if she also has it but she refuses to face the reality of it Gee. as well it's piping it's <laughs> piping hard before this we were talking about the halloween scene yeah and uh, you know that was a good scene first of all first and foremost <laughs> like between that and like i i know it took place on halloween but I think that was, like, one of the most, like, horrific scenes just because of the lighting and the atmosphere and everything about it. I really enjoyed the strobe lights. Wow. <laughs> with her with her black eyes, yeah, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, but the other scene that I really liked was when Ellie or Sandy or Selly, <laughs> their, their ship name... <laughs> They're running through the club because, th- and this is right after Ellie just learned that Sandy's audition for this club was not for her to be like a spotlight singer, but for her to be like a burlesque dancer, pretty yeah. much. And uh, she faces some sort of disappointment because it's kind of like, kind of like the facing reality thing, at the, um, like I was just talking about, where it's like, you know, you are, like you want to do this with your life, but it doesn't always... It doesn't always pan out to be that way, mm-hmm. right? And so she's a little bit disappointed, and she somehow gets into Sandy's dressing room, and Jag is forcing her to get back out there and doing whatever, and she runs away from him. And so they're running through the back of the club, and you look into all these different rooms, and it's all these different burlesque dancers yeah. experiencing like different situations. And, um, first of all, it kind of gave fun house vibes. Not fun. Traumatic. Like, we weren't having a good time. Traumatic house vibes. Yeah, like, the first thing that we see as they're running is a girl on the phone, and she's like, it's not at all what I thought it was going to be like. 
And I think that speaks volumes for Sandy and Ellie at the same time. And then the second room is a man getting dressed while a dancer is taking drugs, drugs, literally shooting something into her veins. She just looks up like, hey, this is normal. Um, the third and the fourth room are women performing sexual acts in rooms full of men. And then the fifth room is a dancer unconscious. I said, and maybe dead. <laughs> in parentheses, maybe dead. Sandy wanted, wants to be a singer, wants to be an actress. She wants to enter this sphere of entertainment. And uh, it's already so hard to get into, especially the 60s, I'm sure. Um, and being a woman, it's like, there's all of these ways of quote unquote entertainment. So I think that there's like that level of kind of like, this is the price you pay for stardom How or dare your, you dreams. Chase your dreams, that too. Um, and like in the beginning, her grand was even talking about like, oh, there's a lot of bad apples, bad apples out there. Be careful. Right. And Ellie was like, oh, I'll. I'll get them. I'm not afraid of them. And her, you know, her grand's like, I'm serious. Like, please, just be safe. I like that the grandma doesn't have a grand. Oh, yeah, right. You're right. Oh, my God. I don't know. It's just like, Ellie's, Ellie's accent compared to her She's grand's. aggressive. So, yeah, while, like, her, her grand has talked about, oh, there's bad apples. You have to be careful. And Ellie has also said, like, oh, you have to start somewhere. And it's like these little spurts of dialogue where you just you listen to it in passing and you're like okay yeah sure you make a valid point but it's not until later that you realize that they're speaking on more things than just in that exact moment and so when sandy's kind of going down this funnel of just you know unhappiness and despair Mm -hmm. That's another thing. Jocasta made fun of her for wearing the clothes that she made. Uh, yeah, I wish I could sew. No, literally. She's like, she's mm-hmm. she's supposed to be a designer. And she, she's in the wrong program. And she's like, you made that? Ew. Like, what? I just, but I've also, like, other movies that I've seen that are about, like, fashion. It's like, for whatever reason, uh, like, a designer doesn't wear their own clothes. And I'm like, that's the whole point of designing. Which I wondered if Jocasta was, like, supposed to be this kind of, like, figment of like, the toxicity in fashion slash college I don't think they thought that deep into her character. I mean, maybe not, but she was she was serving the purpose. Yeah, she played her part. Yeah, and that's that's all we asked for. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, Ellie talks about you, ha- you have to start somewhere. And I just kept thinking about that in terms of Sandy, like... That's all Sandy was really trying to do. Someone offered her... Someone gave her the platform. All she ever needed was a platform. But that platform was not what she thought it was going to be. And never once did she ever achieve her dream of being a singer or actress. Because someone stole that dream from her. Anyways, me off my soapbox. (laughs) Um, To wrap this discussion up, I did want to talk about some themes because you know... And of course, we'll address the the mammoth in the room, and um, <laughs> the behemoth. The, ma- <laughs> um, the biggest overarching theme is, and I didn't want to phrase it as the commodification of women because fresh—that's all fresh was. Yeah. And at first, but of all, it did it so much better. It did it so much better. We went in on that review. We oh went my God, I could in talk for days. Yes, about that movie. like fret. Fresh and Midsummer have two things, one thing in common at least, 
And it's that I will force somebody to watch it and tell them everything about it. And did. At the same time. And did. Both. Uh, all in all, it really is about the commodification of women and, like, just the way that the world, really the patriarchy, preys on women. And so you see little hints of this everywhere, one of them being the sex work solicitations on the phone booth. Now, I don't know if they're sex work solicitations or if they're just, like, nude photos of something. I don't know, but it was it was naked women, and that's all I saw. Also, the men not treating the women like women and just yeah. seeing them as sexual beings. Yeah. When Ellie sees the, the ghosts of the men, right, the only thing that they say is... That's a lovely name. They were ultimately repeating what they would say to um, Sandy when they would first meet her. And so they'd be like, oh, like, what's your name? And Sandy, every time would change her name. She'd be like, Alexandra, Sandy, Sandra, Sandra, Alexis, Alexi, whatever the case was. And every time they'd be like, oh, that's a lovely name. And so it's kind of like they see these women as something that they can get something from. And they're going to do just that. Like, I think there there might have been one part where Sandy, like, tried to have an actual conversation with one of the men. And it just kind of, it like... Just fell flat. Yeah. Because they were like, mm, a woman with a brain? Yeah, no. Not for me. Mm. But, yeah. So, between that and also men reaching financial success on the nude backs of women. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Jack would not be where he is today. Well, not today, because he's dead. But Fine. Good. <laughs> Deserved. As he should. <laughs> I hope he's rolling in his grave with the feminist movement. <laughs> he wouldn't. He really wouldn't have the success that he has if it weren't for Sandy. And he pulls Sandy in by, like, creating a relationship with her. I just remembered. Sorry. Like, um, in, like when Sandy and Jack are kind of like... How do the British people say it? Um... Banter? Ba- banter, yeah. A, b- a bit of banter, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And, like, I noticed, like, while he's, like, s- like dancing with her on the dance floor, he's, like, winking at people wow. that were, like, not even, like, in the frame. Yeah. So. I didn't even notice that. That, that scene I- was good, though. That was such a Like, good- when, she, when she walks onto the dance floor and she does that little move, she, she like, shakes her hip and she does that <laughs> yeah. little hand move. I said, mm-hmm. She yeah. knows that. No, she was... <laughs> Oh my god, her, the outfits, the hair, everything was just a serve. She looked good the whole movie. No, she really when did. She was in the Even room. with the blood on her face. And I want to look that good with blood on my face. I want to be a final girl. <laughs> she is a final girl. Well, hold on. No. <laughs> because she was doing the killing. She did. And she killed in kind of a girl boss way. She, yeah. But my thing was like, are they still under her floorboard? That had to smell, and I know that there. She was like, "Do you like the smell of garlic?" Cause blah blah blah. But garlic cannot cover the smell of dead bodies. I don't care. How so much I don't garlic. really know how did she move them out if she did. If not, maybe that's why the men are in that room. That could be how they like came up and was trying to to grab at um Ellie. Yeah. Oh my God. No, I must say though, like this movie was uncomfortable at times, but it was never scary. Mm-mm. Um, but that scene was really uncomfortable when they were grabbing at Ellie, like, while she was on the bed. I was just like, Ugh. Yeah, and they had, like, no eyeballs and, like, their mouths No pants. So- and it's just there. Just, like, full frontal. Like, hey. <laughs> just popping in. From the men using her 
You also have the policeman laughing at her and gaslighting her when she tries to tell him about what's going on. Which, granted, I get that it sounds a little crazy. Sounds a little off. But, at the same time, like, your immediate response isn't, okay, we'll look into this, thank you for telling us. It's, are you sure you're not on something? (laughs) Um, huh? Useless. No, yeah, like, do your job. This is what my taxpayer dollars are going to. I'm evading my taxes from now on. Like, police, if they're in movies, completely useless. And it don't matter what part of the country, or what country they're in. U.S., U.K., other countries it's upside down upside down <laughs> they're gonna fail you every time. <laughs> every time but the woman does help her the the female cop helps her and i think women supporting women i think that dynamic helps because obviously we see there's no other female in the movie that's mm-hmm. like i believe you i'm here for you like i'm gonna help you figure this out everybody else is just like are, are you mental <laughs> you mental <laughs> Another thing that I recognize, another theme, is financial privilege. And so it's obvious that Ellie comes from kind of like a low-income household. Her grand talks about how her mom and her went to visit London one time. And they would, like, take pictures outside of, like, fancy restaurants, but they would never eat there because they didn't have the money for it. They would see things in shops, but they would make them themselves because they couldn't afford it, which... I support that. I love a good DIY. But I think that a very important part of this story is of the shock value that comes to, like, finally being on your own for the first time and experiencing a world that you couldn't afford to before. And, like, that's something that can translate to anybody who watches this. Well, not anybody. Because some of y'all be rich. (laughs) No, for them. But me? Some of y'all got trust funds. (laughs) Me? And and I'm not one of them. No. I am, what would you, (laughs) (laughs) self-made. Ellie, Ellie going to London, being around people her own age, like, having this. And she she has no family around her. um, No, like, real support system. And so there is that shock value. And having Jocasta as her initial roommate shows that privilege even more because Jocasta's sitting there talking about how she's from Manchester but she lives in London during the summers and all this other stuff and Ellie's just like like that's the kind of life Ellie would have loved to have um so like in the shock value there's also the opportunity and knowledge um in someone who has the money to fuel their passion Jocasta versus someone who's done the best with what they've had which is Eloise and honestly that's one of my biggest takeaways because i think that like at our big age um like we see people who are able to make make like five tiktoks in a day make money off it that's their living meanwhile other people our age are you know like working at mcdonald's still trying to like go to school and trying to like make make a name make a a career for themselves and it almost seems sometimes that it comes easily for them because they have the money and like the opportunity to fuel their passions the way that other people don't and honestly that keeps me up at night because i wish i was born in a nepotism no literally and growing up in a low to i mean i guess the middle class doesn't even exist anymore but like growing up low class um and like having to miss out on certain field trips because you didn't have the money for them having to kind of like double back on back to school shopping because you didn't have the money for it 
tax season being like a holiday because that was really the only time y'all could afford to ball out like these are experiences that as a kid most parents don't want to involve you in their financial struggles but you notice like you see the things that are going on do you have any final thoughts or words on the movie really enjoyed the twist ending (laughs) Yeah. Um, I like that it was a a little girl boss moment where it turns out instead of him murdering her, she was the murderer. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that. Because the movie really leads you to think that, first of all, the old man who keeps popping up was yeah. the murderer. But turns out he was the person who was trying to save her the whole time. Yeah. But he was kind of an asshole. A little like, bit. He's they mostly are. Yeah, he's a copper. He they kept saying copper, and I was like, "Is that supposed to be a derogatory term for is that something?" A slur? No, literally. I'm like, hmm. That seems derogatory. No, I was like, I don't copper know. parentheses derogatory. I don't know if I should be laughing at this. <laughs> and like for her to say like, "Oh well, someone definitely died up there." Me, surprise, <laughs> surprise, Shadi, surprise, Shadi. I'm still but here she's though. Like, you could say someone died multiple times. I'm like, wow. All right. Yeah. So, like, I think that she's monologue was very important. But then she decided to sit in the room and burn. <laughs> <laughs> she, got, she got dead men in the floor. I burn with the. I burn too. She was like, she's like, I'm not, I'm not letting men take away my life again. She took her own. Yeah. Which is kind power of power move. A slay. <laughs> a serve. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I would definitely give it. Uh, I give it two. A three. A two out of five. Mm, two and a half. No, three. <laughs> Why do you like to one-up me? I'm not one-upping you. <laughs> I'm like two, you're like, mm, 2.5. <laughs> <laughs> mm, 2.15. <laughs> I've, Dude, I, I promise that's not my goal. Um, <laughs> I just genuinely, like, I see how a movie can be good. And for me to rate it, like, a, a 2.5 or a three is still, like, a shocker. Because when I rate stuff, it's always, like, a four or a three and a half. Because I'm just, like, I could fix you. <laughs> I could fix him. I could fix him. Um, the visual aspect was very strong, and that's why I rate it as high as I did. But if I was rating it solely on the story itself and the way that it was directed, uh, definitely probably a one, one and a half. Point four. One and a half out of five stars. Um, of course, you can see both of our uh, ratings on Letterboxd because they will be there. And I will link Nellie's in the show notes. But yeah, I hope you all enjoyed this review. I'm so glad Nellie got to come back on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I had such a great time. Yeah. We, we goofed and gaffed. We goofed and gaffed. <laughs> and we dilly we dallied. <laughs> it's always a fun time when Nellie comes on the podcast. Um, of course, you know where to find me. Instagram at the Unbound Cinefem Pod. Twitter at the Unbound Cinefem. And Letterboxd at Avery C-O-F. And Nellie... My Instagram is Melissa Vega, my Twitter is Melissa Vega, and my little box is Melissa Vega. Wow, we love a triple hitter. I don't know, not a common name, surprisingly. No, you're right. Um, Alright, well, thank you for tuning into this episode, and I hope to catch you next time.